So as you return to your seats, grab out your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, the passages will be on the screen. We love to study God's Word. And at the moment, we're working our way through the letter of James. So James chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 9, but before we do anything else, we're just going to pray. Father, we we come as people who are ever grateful. We're grateful for your grace and your mercy that you extend to us and that you pour out without measure. We're grateful for your love. We're grateful for your words, your word that feeds us, it sustains us, it leads us and it guides us. And as we turn to your scriptures this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would keep us from being distracted in a world where so many distractions exist. Just settle our hearts and our minds and give us listening ears to hear what you would say to each one of us this morning. I ask that your word would bear fruit in our hearts and our lives for the glory of your name. And we pray that together. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So James chapter 1 is where we're headed if you've wandered in a little later. And just to get you up to speed before we jump in, we're going to read verse 9, 10, 11 at least. We'll see how we go. Depends how well you're listening. But remember that James is this little letter, but it is packed full. It's a practical letter. And James writes with a very different focus than some of the other letters we read from in the New Testament. We've studied others from Paul. He writes great theology. Now, there is theology in here. Absolutely. It's all good theology. It's all the Word of God. We often read the Apostle John's writing, and he has this poetic, mystical way that he phrases his particular letters. Whereas James, he jumps right in, and he says, I want to talk about life in all of its grit and all of its glory and gory and everything in the middle. And life, he says, and he begins in verse 2 with this picture of life as a process. We talked about it. It'd be much nicer, wouldn't it, if he talked about life as a pleasure cruise? Believe me, I've searched for that verse. I'm yet to find it yet. Now, there's plenty of pleasure and joy to be found, but it's found in the midst, not in the absence of processes. And these processes are not just blips on the radar. This this is what he's saying. This is life. There's going to be stuff that happens to you. Sometimes as a result of things that you've done, sometimes completely unrelated to anything that you could have done or had any control over. But the encouragement he gives us is that In the process, there are trials that lead to approving, there's proving that leads to steadfastness, and there's steadfastness when brought to its full work, he says, will leave you complete. And the truth is, we learn more in those seasons, don't we? Seasons that are difficult, seasons that are a struggle. You never want to go through them, but that's the place where the rubber really hits the road. We learn more in those times than any other times I'd suggest in life. But he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't just describe the process. And last time we looked at the first thing he says, if you want to live this journey of life well and with 
purpose and the whole title of the series is Bold Living. Because that's what he's really after. He's after a, a bold people who stand firm, who in, endure. But he, he wants to give us practical tips to be able to do that. His first tip last time was wisdom. He said, if ever you lack wisdom, pray and God will give to you wisdom. Without condition, he'll give it to you freely. That's his desire is that we would live life with wisdom. And we contrasted it saying knowledge is something, is, is saying this is what something is. Wisdom is saying well, this is what you need to do with it. Knowledge says this is where you are. Wisdom says this is where you need to go. And what you need at all times of life, but particularly when you're in the midst of a process, which we all are at various times, is you need wisdom. And he says, with one caveat, if you ask for wisdom, don't be double-minded in your asking. Or literally the translation is don't be double-bodied, don't be double-limbed. The picture he's giving is, it's like having a left and a right leg, and your left leg saying, let's go this way, your right leg saying, let's go that way. How's it going to work out? It's going to be very painful. It's not going to go well for you. So here's the second thing this morning. Let's read the passage together. Let's reflect on a few things, and then let's go and enjoy some fellowship around the barbecue. Where better to go? Verse 9, James chapter 1. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. But the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Verse 12. But blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So what is it that James is encouraging us? What is he exhorting us? What can we glean from this particular passage of Scripture? Let me introduce it this way. Have you ever noticed that God, and as you read the Bible, you see a completely different perspective than the way that you would view a situation or a circumstance or a problem than if you were purely viewing it with worldly wisdom or the eyes of the world. Anyone notice that? Had a few of those moments? Like, ah, oh, did not see things that way. Well, this is one example. You see, think about this. As a society, who is it that we idolize? Who is it that we put up on pedestals? You might say, well, we're Aussies. We don't idolize anyone. If they even grow up a little bit, you know, we tear them down. We make sure it's a level playing field. And to a certain extent, that's probably true. But then if we're honest, deep down, if we really examine our hearts, is there a few Instagram feeds that occasionally we don't mind having a little peek at? Is there a sporting star, maybe a pop star that secretly we admire or some of us perhaps not secretly enough? I would suggest that all of us, there's this human tendency, even in our culture, to idolize people. And normally it's those who perhaps are wealthy, successful, they're beautiful, fill in the blank. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Don't worry. But let's be honest. Let's just get real. There is a human tendency, isn't there, to idolize such things in this life. And yet James here in this passage, he says, 
You should pity those people who boast in those things that the world chases after. Why? And he answers that question with this vivid picture. He said it's a little bit like this. And he describes here a scene like the flowers of the grass. And perhaps what he's describing is the conditions of the arid Middle East where he's writing this particular letter from. And it's well known that you can get a passing shower in the midst of the desert and literally overnight you'll get green shoots that pop out of the ground, out of nowhere, out of this dry arid landscape. But the other problem is that the area is also known for a scorching southeast wind that comes straight from the heart of the desert. So these little green shoots have sprouted up overnight and literally as this wind comes, it's told within hours, if not minutes, these little green shoots wither and they fall away. They disintegrate. They turn to nothing. So that's what James is giving us this picture. He's saying pitied is to be the person whose hope and trust is in something so fickle and so temporary that's just here in a moment. Passing shower, it pops up and then it's gone even quicker than it first came. And he contrasts that picture with verse 11. He says, here is true blessing. Here is the source of real blessing. Blessed is the man, is the woman. Blessed is the person who? Who is it that's blessed? Who remains steadfast under trial. Why? For when they've stood the test of time, they will receive the crown of life who God has promised to those who love him. Who is it that's truly blessed in this life? It's those who can stand firm, who can hold on to what? His promise and receive the crown of life. That's the source of true blessing. As Paul said, I've finished the race. I've fought the good fight and laid up for me is a crown of righteousness as there is for all of those who've loved and longed for his appearing. See, and I love the reality of this. He says, for those who are steadfast, they receive the crown which God has promised to them. He doesn't say for those who have worked this whole thing out, for those who have really dotted their I's and crossed their T's, they've lived the perfect life, they've done everything right, never made a mistake, never looked at someone, never, never done anything. Never even thought about doing anything. See, the focus is not on our effort and it's not even on our performance. The focus is on his promise. It's reflecting about this. Let me give you this little example because this is always so important for us to hang on to. We had, uh, had a moment this week when my youngest girl, little Bethany, she's just in preschool this year, and all the girls as they've gone through preschool, they've done these little plates. I'm not sure why this is a preschool thing because they've all gone to different preschools. You don't see it anywhere else in life. But preschool, they still do these little plates. And what you do is you, you do a big coloring in and then you stick it on top of your plate and then they do something with it. Wave a wand over it, stick it in the oven and then it comes out as a plate with a drawing. And you know what I'm talking about? So she's preparing to do this little project in preschool and she shows me her creative artwork and she comes with great pride as a little kid does. She says, Daddy, look what I've done. And I have a look. And you know, let's be honest, when you're four years of age, your best artwork 
is not usually fantastic. I mean, it was colourful and there were some lines there and there was possibly a shape or two. Some of the other girls had tried a little harder to actually make it look like something. I think she just grabbed the crayons and it was on. There was colour everywhere. But what does a father say in that moment? Little girl, great excitement. Daddy, look what I've done. I'll tell you what I said, and I hope this is what most good fathers would say. I'd say, sweetie, that is just, that's amazing. That's incredible. That, I mean, that is the most beautiful picture I've ever seen. That is, that's off the charts. Why does a father say that? And I'm genuinely, you know, there's, there's, there's genuine feeling there. not just putting on the words. Because a father's heart is for connection more than it is for perfection. My heart as a father doesn't immediately go to, well, let's just sit down. Let's have a little talk about this. I really think you could improve a little. There's a few areas that need a bit of touching up on. Did you know your sisters were a lot better than you at their age? <laughs> You don't go those places, do you? Because a father's heart is for connection. He came and we sung about it and he's given up his life. Not so he could sit down and have a chat about how much we're messing up. He knows we're never going to be good enough. That's why he came and lived the perfect life and died in our place. So finally we can sit down and have that conversation. He says, finally... You can experience the fullness of my love. Finally, we can have a relationship because his heart is for connection. And you see, the gospel has this leveling effect. There's no class distinction. There's no race distinction. Everybody is of equal value and equal worth, and every person gets the same reward. He doesn't say he's talking about the lowly and the rich, and the rich will get a greater reward. No. Everybody is of the same value and receives the same reward regardless of circumstances. And what he's painted for us here are two extremes. He says, first of all, let the lowly brother. Now that word there, lowly, it can mean poor in terms of not having material possessions, but it's also used equally of someone who's been brought low by circumstances, by stuff going around. They're in the midst of all sorts of adversity. That's the lowly brother that he's referring to. And then the other extreme is someone who clearly is rich, who has not only material possessions, but they have it all going for them. They're the Instagram pin-up stars that we all secretly but would never admit admiring and wanting to be more like. What's fascinating, though, as James paints both of these two extremes, is in both instances, he calls people to look past their circumstances. Let the lowly boast in their exaltation. Let them look past what's going on. And he doesn't describe, this is not his point to describe a particular circumstance or situation. He's describing two ends of the spectrum. Whether you've got nothing or you've got everything. Whether you're in the midst of a deep, dark valley, or you're on top of a mountaintop. Fill in the blank, the two extremes. You see, James is addressing the temptation that all of us have to base our security and our happiness on the externalities of our life. 
whether things are going well, whether we've got the Facebook followers, whether we've got the money in the bank account. Two extremes. But he gives us a third option. He says, you can build your life on the difficulty of circumstances, the achievements of human endeavor, or you can live for something far greater. The eternal promise of a loving heavenly father. If I endure, I will receive the crown of life. And he who loves me, the father who gave everything for me, he has given me this promise. That's what I hang on to. That's where I build and base my life. And I want to develop this just a little bit. Just let me, I've uh, <clears throat> been processing this and thinking this through this week. And here's one example, a bit left stream. How many of us have ever been on a mission trip? You've gone overseas, anywhere? Really, that, that few of us. How many of us have? Okay, not as many as I'd like. I'd encourage all of you to go on a mission trip. There's something of great value to go and to just experience and see how people live in different parts of the world. But whether you go to India or Africa or somewhere else in Asia, anywhere around the world, particularly I find with Christian missionaries, can we just, you know, just leave this about us for a moment. As you go there and you see what's going on and you work in maybe these little communities, there's always two things that people come back with at least. Hopefully there's a whole lot of other things that they report. One is that people are really confronted by the poverty. And that's a good thing to be confronted by. It really is. These people have nothing. And yet there's a second thing that often you hear, and I've been guilty of this, not pointing the finger. We come back and we say, you know what? They don't have anything, and yet I could not get over how happy they were. They have nothing, and yet they're so happy. I mean, the believers, they've got Jesus, there's just this joy, and I don't have that joy. I felt like that on mission trips. We come back, and as I wrestle through our thought processes, I think so often in the Western world, this is the problem, is that we cannot get our heads around how someone could live without material possessions and in horrible circumstances, having had horrible things. The army came in and killed my parents. Horrific stories you hear as you go to these places. And yet, there's a joy. And there's a happiness. And there is this peace and contentment in life. And I think we have believed at times a bill of goods that's horribly false. Because all of our advertisements, all of our commercials, all the TV shows... All the Instagram posts would suggest that in order to be happy, in order to be really fulfilled, this is what you need. You need the latest BMW. You need a big house. You need the gorgeous looking girlfriend on your side. You, that's what you need. How could you possibly be happy without all of these things? The problem is that the Bible has proclaimed something very different for 2,000 years. And as we always say, history shows us that we learn nothing from history. And for all of our Western wealth and goods and materialism, statistics show that we're also the most miserable and medicated generation that ever lived on planet Earth. We just need to get our heads around the thing that should strike us. It's not that Christians in poor countries can be happy. 
the thing that should strike us is that Christian in Western countries can't believe that that's true. <laughs> Something that's going wrong in the way that we process and view life. For all that we've got, we still haven't figured out. We've missed something along the way. So just think about this question for a moment and answer it honestly. How would you complete this question if you looked at your life right now? I will be happy when and fill in the blank. I will be happy. I will be happy when. Would it be when I'm healed? When I'm promoted? When I live in a nicer house? When I'm married? When I'm no longer married? When I have kids? When the kids are gone? How would you finish that particular sentence? Let's be honest. And you see, the problem is not the particular thing that you put in the sentence. It's that we have anything in there at all. Because as long as we're looking for some external thing to find happiness and joy and contentment, you will never truly find it. And you say, really? Now, let me say a couple of things. First of all, none of those things are bad. It's not bad to want to have money to provide for your kids to have a house and a car, is it? They're good things to want. They're just bad things to use as our basis and our source of joy and fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose and meaning in life. And they're bad for a number of reasons, but let me give you two. Number one is that they're horribly limited. They are completely dependent upon our feelings. And I don't know about you, but my feelings change by the minute, if not the day. What makes me happy one day will probably not make me happy the next. Here's an extreme example. I'm hoping you've never heard of this guy. He's a guy by the name of Dan Bilzerian. He's amassed some 22.6 million followers on Instagram, and he's known as the playboy of Instagram, the Hugh Hefner. Like, this guy has the lot. He's got the yachts. He's got the women. He's got the money. He's got the wealth. And I've never actually seen his Instagram post, just for the record. But I did see an article about how he changed his ways. This was the opening line. It says, Dan Bilzerian has changed some of his breakneck partying ways, including the cocaine and Viagra binges that led him to suffering two back-to-back -back heart attacks by age 25, then a pulmonary embolism a few years later. As a result, he slowed down some of his alcohol consumption. Probably a wise decision. But this is the quote that grabbed me. I tell the story for this reason. He says this, the problem is, this is a quote from philosopher Dan, the problem is you just need more and more. I think that's true of everything, money, toys, girls, all the hedonistic stuff, you just have to keep continually raising the bar. That's what he said, that's the problem. If we're looking to that, that stuff to truly find joy and meaning, it's never going to be enough, even if you have everything. Even if you've tried so hard that you've had two heart attacks by the time you're 25. Just to find something that will give you satisfaction. So it's limited, but it's also uncertain. Say maybe you find something that gives you a great sense of purpose. Your family, your wealth, your education. The thing is, as James says, they're all fleeting. 
If that truly is the place that you build your life upon, what happens when you get the bad doctor's report? What happens when your wife ups and leaves you and walks out the door? See, there is another way, and this is what I'm directing it to, and we're bringing it to a close, don't worry. There is a promise that we can hold on to that's purposed in the heart of a father from eternity past. A God who predestined us in love, who made us in his image, who came himself in human flesh, stretched his arm upon a cross, and he bled and he died to demonstrate his love for us and to give us a gift more than anything we could ever deserve. He says, this is my promise. Believe in me and you'll find something greater than anything this world could offer. See, what circumstances is that dependent upon? How much money, wealth, possessions do you need to obtain that? And what trials and tribulations could ever unsettle it? See, trials and tribulations only ever cause that fire to burn brighter because then you recognize that what you needed all along was Him. And it's still Him. And it forever will be Him. Here's the wonderful reality about what James is pointing us to. This promise. Regardless of what circumstances are all around us, it's absolute, it's certain, it's complete, and it is satisfying. Say, where are you going to build your life? For the lowly man, for the man who has everything. The person in difficult circumstances, the person who's just got it all together. You know, they just fart rainbows and it's beautiful. Let's move on. Just checking you're awake still out there. One commentator put it this way. Contentment is the secret of inward peace. It remembers in life that life is a pilgrimage from one nakedness to another. So we should travel light and live simply. Our enemy's not possessions. They're not the enemy. Our battle cry is not nothing. Our cry is enough. For if we have him, then we have enough. A God who hears us, the power of his love, who holds us, the presence of his Holy Spirit within us. All of heaven before us. If you have Jesus, you have grace for every sin, an anchor for every storm, a refuge in every battle, a strength through every trial. You have everything you need. He is and he always will be enough. And just as the band comes back and we finish this, Philippians 4, 11 to 13, the Apostle Paul, he has a passage that I've always loved. Always hang on to this passage, particularly when, you know, the seasons and there's trials. And in verse 11 of chapter 4 of Philippians, he says, I've learnt the secret, the secret of being content. Verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low, how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learnt the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Who wants to know what the secret is? 
And remember, this is the Apostle Paul. I mean, the Apostle Paul who had such an incredible impact in his life. His writings and his works are still read by billions of people every day. I mean, if someone's reading your blog in 10 minutes, that's something to celebrate. Let alone 10 years. 2,000 years later, a third of the world still reading his writing. Incredible impact. Incredible impact. And yet he had incredible suffering. He spent a third of his ministry in jail. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was persecuted. He was stoned. And eventually he was beheaded. So if anyone can say this, it's him. But he says, I've learnt the secret, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's saying, here's what I've learnt. If I have him, whatever else is going on around me, then I have enough. Let me close with this. Is a, a famous inscription. It's a letter written by a third century man who was an, anticipating death. And he penned these last words to a friend, wrote a letter. He said this, It's a bad world and incredibly uncertain times, but I've discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who've learnt a great secret. They've found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasures of this life. They're despised and persecuted but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians. And now I count myself among them. Just you close your eyes. All I want to ask you this morning is, do you know this reality? This reality of a promise of a loving Heavenly Father. Do you know the joy, the contentment, the fulfillment? Or are we building our lives upon things that are only ever going to leave us empty? They're limited, they're frail, they're uncertainty, they're, they're here today and yet they're gone tomorrow are we building our lives on that which is eternal knowing that there's a path to walk there's things to do there's battles to fight but if we just stay steady if we stay strong if we keep our eyes upon the one who gave everything for us then we will stand before him and receive the crown of life that he has promised. Not for all those who work hard, have it all together, but for all those who love him, for all those who would choose to trust, not in themselves, not in their circumstances, not in their problems, but to lean wholly upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we learn the secret? That's my prayer. Can we learn the secret and truly be a people who will abound, not just survive, but thrive 
when things are down, when things are up, when we've got nothing, when we've got everything, when the battles and the stuff's hanging around, when we're rejoicing on the mountaintops. That's the sort of person I want to be, not just buffeted around by the stuff, but standing firm because I know where it is that I've built my life. So, Father, just as we bring this uh, service to a conclusion, before we move out to sausages and, and fellowship, Lord, I pray that just in this moment now, there would be, there'd be a moment just between us and you where you'd help us, Lord, to really examine our hearts. Lord, would you show us if we truly are a people who have found the secret? Lord, whether we can agree with a hearty amen with Paul, who says, whatever happens, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I have him and it will always be enough. And Lord, likewise, would you show us if there are areas in our life where perhaps we've been leaning and trusting upon the wrong things. Trusting in our ability to work it out talk our way out of it trusting in the bank balance how much super we've got saved Father we don't want to be a people who are so shocked when we see others who have nothing and yet they've really discovered what it is to live. We want to grab a hold of the life that you have, regardless of any circumstances that we have today and any circumstances that will come tomorrow. We pray these things in Jesus' name.